For the first time since the virus began, Brexit negotiators are now meeting face-to-face in Brussels, as Boris Johnson says he wants a deal with the EU by the end of July. The US market is growing very fast for the UK, but they still ban haggis, for heaven's sake, in, in the United States. There are all sorts of opportunities we have to open up trade with the US. Whilst negotiations are underway in Brussels, they seem to have stalled elsewhere. Brexit was supposed to herald a new global Britain, free to strike trade deals all over the world, and particularly with America. Basically, the only real times you hear Donald Trump talk about trade deals with the UK is when he happens to be in the presence of Robert Lighthizer and it sort of jogs his mind, you know, there's my trade negotiator. Oh yeah, trade deal with the UK. Coronavirus may be a setback for a trade deal with America, but it's also had an unexpected impact on negotiations with the EU. I think the pandemic has actually held people's feet to the fire. Time is very tight and instead of posturing, people have got to be a bit more pragmatic. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Brexit, a tale of two trade deals. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I also want to send best wishes to a very good friend of mine and a friend to our nation, Prime Minister Boris Johnson. We're very saddened to hear that he was taken into intensive care this afternoon, a little while ago. So when um, Boris Johnson went into intensive care, one of the weirdest experiences being a British reporter out here in America was that Donald Trump kind of took it upon himself to give a daily update to the American people on what he'd heard about Boris Johnson's condition. (laughs) This was at a time when he was doing daily coronavirus press conferences anyway. That's Henry Zeffman, the Times Washington correspondent. And he would say something like, you know, great prime minister, great man. Great gentleman and a great leader. But when you get brought into intensive care, that gets very, very serious. Intensive care is very tough, you know. I hear he's not doing great. And I've asked two of the leading companies, these are brilliant companies, Ebola, AIDS, and I've asked them to contact London. He made some pretty vague promises about sending American drugs companies to help with his care, which, if I recall correctly, Downing Street very politely and diplomatically rebuffed. But it was, I suppose, testament to the genuine warmth that Donald Trump feels towards Boris Johnson. I think he sees him as a 
kindred spirit on the world stage. They're saying Britain Trump. They call him Britain Trump, and people are saying that that's a good thing, that they like me over there. He, of course, described him as Britain Trump, famously, when he became prime minister. A title I'm not sure Boris Johnson would have been grateful for. And what happens when Boris Johnson comes out of hospital? He called Donald Trump, and we know this because Donald Trump described it at length in a pretty strange kind of televised cabinet meeting last month. And it was actually quite revealing. He said the first thing that Boris did... When fortunately he was better because he's a great guy. He called me and he wanted to talk about the trade deal. How's it going? That was his first words to me. How's the trade deal going? I said, how are you feeling? And Trump, you know, no stranger to saying slightly unusual things at the start of conversations of any sort, seemed quite taken aback. But he saw this as a sign of how serious Boris Johnson is about striking a UK-US trade deal. And I think he's right. I certainly know not least from having been a reporter in Westminster until seven months ago, that it is something that the UK government is really determined to strike. I mean, for two reasons. One is that there are free traders in the government for whom the point of Brexit was to have the freedom to strike new trade deals around the world rather than under the ambit of the European Union. And there is no bigger prize for them than a comprehensive trade deal with America. The other reason, I think, is political, which is that for free trade to be proven to be one of the great prizes of Brexit, you have to start striking trade deals sooner rather than later to say, look, here you go. Here is something we have done that we couldn't have done as members of the European Union. And with that anecdote, I mean, what do you think it tells us about the state of those negotiations for a trade deal at the moment? They have been imperiled by coronavirus. They have started talks We've just had the second round of talks between officials from the Department for International Trade and the US Trade Representation. But they've all taken place virtually. So there's been no visit from Boris Johnson to the States to meet Donald Trump, which was planned for uh, some point in this spring. But, you know, it is not just technical hurdles that need to be cleared. I mean, there are substantive issues, whether you're discussing them in person or virtually, that are major hurdles to trade deals in particular agriculture, which people will be very aware of because chlorinated chicken became the sort of representation of what lots of people think is wrong with the idea of striking a trade deal with America in the first place. We're not too keen on that chlorinated chicken either. We have a gigantic chlorinated chicken of our own here on the opposition bench. The great prize of a trade deal with the UK for America would be agriculture. I mean, we know that's true because that's what Robert Lighthizer, the US trade negotiator, keeps saying. And the American view is that the traditional European attitude to food standards is, well, what he has called thinly veiled protectionism. Wow. His view is that when they say we don't want chicken washed in chlorine, to take the most common example, that is really just a way of protecting domestic agriculture from more competitive practices in America rather than a genuine concern about food hygiene. Right. And for us coming out of the EU, I suppose a lot of it will come down to whatever deal we come up with with the rest of the EU before we can decide which standards we can shed. Well, that's true. But I think also it's such a politically controversial debate in the UK that I find it quite hard to see a world in which a British Environment Secretary agrees to let chlorine-washed chickens enter the UK market. It's just one of those issues. The phrasing around it, it's actually just too evocative, right? Yeah. But that does raise a question about 
what other areas the UK and the US can strike a trade deal on pretty quickly. Give me a bit of the history of trying to come up with a trade deal, because before the Brexit vote, famously President Obama made it quite clear that a deal wouldn't be top of the agenda. I mean, how much have things changed? When Barack Obama came over, at the private urging of David Cameron, just a couple of weeks before the Brexit referendum, to make the case for Remain, and then he did a press conference with David Cameron. Maybe some point down the line, there might be a UK-US trade agreement, but it's not going to happen anytime soon because... Barack Obama said that if the UK left the EU, it would be at the back of the queue for a trade deal. And UK is going to be in the back of the queue. What changed since then is that Donald Trump put the UK at least towards the front of the queue. But then there's questions, as ever with Donald Trump, of his ability and really his inclination to translate rhetoric, by which I often just mean tweets, into government policy. So I actually, with my colleague David Charter, interviewed John Bolton earlier this week, the um, former National Security Advisor who's written an explosive book about his time working for Donald Trump. And we asked him about the prospects for UK-US trade deal. But Bolton, like Donald Trump, is a big, big fan of Brexit and no fan whatsoever of the European Union. But as with anything else in Donald Trump's administration, the UK is going to have to work really hard to kind of keep that at the forefront of his mind. And it's not obvious to me that they're succeeding. I mean, basically, the only real times you hear Donald Trump talk about trade deals with the UK is when he happens to be, as he was in this cabinet meeting, in the presence of Robert Lighthizer, and it sort of jogs his mind. You know, there's my trade negotiator. Oh, yeah, trade deal with the UK. Oh, yeah, Boris Johnson. With less than five months to go until a presidential election, which Donald Trump may well lose, I mean, he is not the favourite as it stands, Time is running out for the UK to put that at the front of Donald Trump's mind. Now, we'll get on to the election in just a moment. But before then, we can see why Boris Johnson, why it would be such a priority for him to get a trade deal and how important it is to be able to sell it domestically, the idea of having other trading partners ready and willing. How important is it to Donald Trump? One of the big parts of Donald Trump's 2016 election winning strategy, if you can call a sort of collection of incredibly good instincts strategy, was to tell Americans that they'd been ripped off by free trade deals for decades. That is, I think, widely accepted as one of the reasons he won what we now call the Rust Belt states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, states which Democrats had won for decades, because he said to them, trade deals that this country has signed have allowed companies which used to have factories in your town, in your city, in your state, to send those jobs abroad to cheap labour, in particular Mexico, he would he would criticise Mexico and China. The benefits of free trade are not a central part of Donald Trump's political coalition. But we come back to agriculture again, I think, which is the prize of agriculture for the US would be to say to American farmers, who are a part of Donald Trump's winning electoral coalition in 2016, you know, we're going to be able to get our products onto the UK market. So really, it only works for Trump's domestic audience if he drives a hard bargain and we end up with things like chlorinated chicken and the market is open to products like that. Possibly. I mean, there are other priorities for the US. There is healthcare, 
which is that they want US drugs companies, which is a very different part of Trump's electoral coalition, you know, much more sort of elite level Republican. But they want access for US drugs companies and medical devices to get their products onto the UK market. I mean, that was a big part of the 2019 general election. One of Labour's election slogans was, you know, the NHS is not for sale. Boris Johnson will sell the NHS off to to Donald Trump. We've now got evidence that under Boris Johnson, the NHS is on the table and will be up for sale. Boris Johnson denied that totally. It does sound like a win for Donald Trump on this deal would be everything that most of the British public objects to. So how hard a negotiator is he? I mean, you know, he, he built a reputation on the art of the deal. Do we think if he was to strike a, a trade deal with us, it would be a good one for America? Well, I mean, it would be impossible to get Donald Trump to sign something that he didn't think was a good deal for America. It's not just that he's a tough negotiator. I think it's that he's a capricious negotiator, which makes it unpredictable to do business with him. But the other thing that we should talk about is that trade deals aren't just struck by the president. They have to be approved by Congress to take effect by both the House of Representatives and the Senate. And that is a real looming problem. The House of Representatives is controlled by Democrats, who are not at all in sympathy with Donald Trump's agenda. I mean, they're not necessarily opposed to the idea of a UK-US trade deal, by the way. But they're not going to just rapidly rubber stamp something just because it's an easy win for the president. The Senate is controlled by Republicans, so there'd be less of a problem there. But I think whichever direction you look at this, be it the politics of getting it approved or the diplomacy of focusing Donald Trump on it or the actual substance of the deal, I think it, you know, it is hard to see this happening anytime soon. One possibility is that the two sides might come up with some, be it a memorandum of understanding or a sort of small deal in one sector, some kind of piece of paper that both sides can point to and Donald Trump can say, look, I've negotiated a trade deal with the UK and Boris Johnson likewise can, as the UK government starts to emerge from coronavirus, you know, say, look, we're progressing on on this part of our agenda as well. But the comprehensive trade deal with America that the British government has been hoping for doesn't appear to be on the cards anytime soon. I think for our clues, we could do worse than look at what Robert Lighthizer is saying. He was appearing before a congressional committee last week. So I would say it's possible, although unlikely, that we could get an agreement. It is almost impossible unless the members decided they wanted to do something extraordinary to have it actually come before the Congress before November. So I don't think the mood music, to put it mildly, is good. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. With a U.S. trade deal looking increasingly unlikely, attention has once again turned to the European Union. The UK's chief Brexit negotiator, David Frost, recently claimed that a deal with the EU is still a long way off. We obviously are quite a long way from the the broad outline of an agreement that we we hope to be at at this point. We are, I guess, frustrated. So are we headed for a no-deal Brexit? Bruno Waterfield is the Times Brussels correspondent. I've been covering the Brussels beat here for the newspaper since April 2015. That's been quite a busy time. That's been uh, the refugee crisis, the last round of the Eurozone crisis and Greece. Brexit, of course, the referendum, uh, the withdrawal negotiations, and now fishing, trade and security talks with the European Union. So you know Brussels well. You, you know the intricate mechanics of, of the whole place. What's it like? Well, I think the idea that Brussels is very, very complicated is one of the greatest sort of myths <laughs> of, of the town. It's a very self-serving idea for the diplomats, officials and, and lobbyists who work here, who, who, who love to cultivate the idea that you need a brain the size of a planet to understand what goes on. In fact, it's all pretty simple to understand. The problem here is it all takes place behind closed doors. Well, I'm really glad you said that because we're hoping you're going to simplify Brexit for us and God knows that's a heck of a task. But before you do, can I just ask, what's life like in Brussels now? How does governance carry on with the virus? It really is impossible to do proper deals, to, to sniff each other out. The EU leaders, particularly at the apex of it all, have been holding video conferences and it really doesn't work. I mean, you see the photographs of it, you know, sort of a weirdo, balding man sitting in a, an empty office with a load of computer screens. I mean, it's thoroughly weird and it's, it hasn't been effective. Before we get into, into Brexit itself, can you just tell me what impact would a US-UK trade deal or indeed a lack of one how would that affect negotiations between the EU and Britain? It won't really. The talks with the EU really have got to be wrapped up by the end of October, or I suppose it could go even later. They're very intense. And US negotiators say, look, you know, it's pretty pointless having discussions with you over farm goods when you haven't even sorted this out with the EU yet. And of course, it's worth bearing in mind that the EU accounts for 43% of UK exports and the US around about 20%. Britain hopes that opening parallel talks with the US and Europe will give it leverage. London wants to model its EU deal on the bloc's recent trade... Was the prospect of a US-UK trade deal, was it being used as leverage before when it looked more likely? I don't think so. I think the idea that it was leverage was, it was a purely for domestic consumption, for a, a British audience to show that the buccaneering... Boris was going around the world uh, cutting trade deals. The US are very, very brutal negotiators, far more so than the EU. And as I said, the EU is more important uh, economically. I really don't think the EU feels under any pressure at all by US-UK trade negotiations, not in the slightest. Take me back to February, before coronavirus had taken over all of our lives. Where were negotiations then? How were Michelle Barnier and David Frost 
How are they getting on? I think it has been civilised, but I think the EU side has been initially quite startled how sort of clear and hard Frost was and the government is in terms of the relationship that it wants in the future. So the EU had had uh, a couple of years of Theresa May and her chief negotiator who didn't really know what they want. And Theresa May was moving towards uh, staying in the EU's uh, customs union and having a very close relationship with the single market. Now, Frost uh, and the Prime Minister made very clear right at the beginning that that was not what they uh, wanted. Pretty early on, Frost spelt out publicly that the UK wanted a deal based on free trade precedent and on a relationship of equals, um, that the UK was prepared to walk away rather than be dictated to by uh, the EU. I think the EU might not like it sometimes, but I think the, the EU kind of respects that with Frost, you know what you're getting and he's consistent. And I think Frost knows that Barnier enjoys a very high level of trust with European governments. Earlier this year, trade negotiators for the EU and the UK were just starting to get to grips with some of the details of a possible trade deal. And then the pandemic broke out. Michel Barnier, the European Union's chief negotiator for Brexit, revealed on Thursday that he has tested positive for COVID-19. In early March, it was announced that Michel Barnier had been diagnosed with the coronavirus. David Frost, a British negotiator, was suspected um, of having it. He self-quarantined. Then we went into lockdown. During lockdown, progress was slow. But on June the 15th, Boris Johnson had a call with top EU officials where it was agreed they'd intensify talks during July. As I said to uh, the, the three presidents, um, you know, put a tiger in the tank because it's very clear what the, the UK needs and what uh, our, our EU friends, I think, need to, to understand. I think the idea is that by the end of August, there will be some basic outline of a fishing, trade and police cooperation agreement or suite of agreements and then the, the text can be drafted and, and hammered out and thrashed out in September in time for October. That seems to be where we are on the timetable. How else has COVID changed the negotiations though? I mean, now that Britain but also the EU have huge other issues to be dealing with and there's the fear of economic collapse on all sides, how has it changed the Brexit negotiations? So I think the pandemic has actually held people's feet to the fire. Time is very tight. And instead of posturing, people have got to be a bit more pragmatic. They've got to start getting on with it because we're pretty sure that neither side really does want to contemplate uh, no deal. But a no deal and and more disruption next year isn't going to play well on either side. There are still big issues to be hammered out, among them fishing rights, security cooperation and so-called state aid rules, which partly determine how much support a government can give to domestic industries. Handy in a recession. But if a deal is on the horizon, how will it go down with the British public, in particular with those who voted leave? I don't think the deal with the EU is going to be particularly controversial domestically. I would imagine that the government probably would rather do a deal with the EU by 1st of January next year than not have a deal, which would compound some of the economic problems and impact 
of the pandemic and certainly would become an area where the Labour Party and business find cause for complaint and might make life difficult for the government. I think at the end of the year there will be an agreement. I think it will be rather fudged and rather fuzzy. It is quite possible that it won't all enter into force on the same day. There will be implementation periods. So I think the picture on January 1st 2021 will be that there is a future relationship but the actual vision of it is still a little bit unclear. It's time to pick up our heads. Remember who we are. This is the United States of America. There is not a single thing beyond our capacity. Just as a deal with the EU appears to be gaining momentum, hopes of a speedy trade deal with America are all but disappearing. And if Joe Biden is elected as president in November, a UK-US trade deal is likely to slip further down the American agenda. The morning after the general election in December, when Boris Johnson won his huge majority, Joe Biden was speaking at a fundraiser in San Francisco. And he didn't say, you know, congratulations to Boris Johnson. You know, he was a fine foreign secretary. Hopefully I'll win the presidential election and we'll get the special relationship back on track. He described Boris Johnson as a physical and emotional clone of the president. Really? That is how the Democrat mainstream thinks about the UK at the moment. I should say that since I moved here in early January, I've been really struck by the number of small-L liberal Americans, Democrats basically, be they in politics or not in politics, be they, you know, Anglophile or not, who basically think that Brexit and Trump are one and the same thing or, or, you know, symptoms of the same disease as they would see it. Now, it doesn't matter whether you think that is a fatuous comparison or an apt one. The point is that a Biden administration would be staffed by people who think it's apt, who will look at their partner in the special relationship, Boris Johnson, and see in him Donald Trump. Now, look, I'm not suggesting that there's about to be some rupture in the special relationship if Joe Biden wins, but... I don't think they would be looking at, you know, four years in government and going, okay, what's our priority? A trade deal with the UK to help them unleash the positives of having left the EU. And if at the end of the year we end up crashing out of Europe with no deal and, you know, if there is a a Biden presidency and there's no sign of a trade deal with America coming through, how does that look for... Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, but also for for the British economy. I'm not convinced there will be a no-trade deal exit from the EU, but I think for Boris Johnson, who effectively led the Vote Leave campaign and championed free trade outside of the EU, I think it would be a, a bit of a hammer in his credibility. It would hamper Boris Johnson's claims to be a sort of swashbuckling global dealmaker. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, The Times Washington correspondent, Henry Zeffman, and Brussels correspondent Bruno Waterfield. You can read more of Henry's and Bruno's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Dan Hardoon and Brenna Daldorf. 
The executive producer is Leo Hornack, and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Nicola Rolfast. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you find yourselves between trade deals with a few minutes to kill, please do leave us a review. We're everywhere a podcast should be, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. And don't forget, you can access analysis, opinion and advice from the experts every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. See you tomorrow. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.